Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Bible Prophecy. For today, my name is Heather and I have a special um, thing for you guys tonight. Tonight, um, I was able to get the recording of my pastor, Dr. Randy Davis here in Amarillo, Texas. As our pastor at New Hope Fellowship at River Road. He is teaching on the book of Daniel in the end times. Guys, you are going to want to hear this. If you ever had questions about the 10 kingdoms and the 10 toes and all this stuff uh, in the book of Daniel and the times, times and half a time and, and all of those things and how do we end up with the week left over in the 49 and all that stuff, you're going to want to listen um, to his message today. Um, is teaching on the book of Daniel. And also, if you want to go to the Facebook page at Bible Prophecy for today, um, my Facebook page, um, I've live streamed it there. You guys can watch it there. You can also go to YouTube and you can go to uh, the New Hope Fellowship at River Road. That is our YouTube channel. You can go and watch it there as well. Um, very, very informative. And um, he has such a great way of delivering um, these messages and these teachings. I am so thankful that he didn't completely retire i'll tell you what i was heartbroken totally heartbroken <laughs> but uh without further ado here is pastor and dr randy davis teaching on uh the book of daniel and the end times this is our third study the first study we talked about um the millennium from isaiah we looked at several chapters in isaiah and uh, the thousand year reign of christ on the earth and then last time we um, talked about the millennial temple. Now, there's going to be four temples. There's only been two so far. It's Solomon's temple. And then, uh, of course, it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And then um, uh, they were allowed to go back. Cyrus the Persian allowed them to go back and to rebuild the temple uh, under Zerubbabel. And so they did that. And it was up for about 500 years or so until uh, Herod the Great came along and he remodeled it. So... It was a complete remodel. I mean, they disassembled it and put it back together and enlarged it and all of that. But since it was not destroyed, it's still considered to be the second temple. So when you hear about the second temple period, that's uh, usually a, you know during the time of Christ, but it can go all the way back to, to Zerubbabel. So, so there's been two, and there will be a tribulation temple. We know that. We'll study more about that later. But we know the Antichrist is going to go into the temple during the tribulation time and uh, proclaim himself to be God. And so we know there has to be a temple during the tribulation. But then last week, we really looked quite a bit uh, in Ezekiel, uh, mainly chapters 40 through 43, uh, describe uh, the millennial temple. Very unique. Uh, there's never been a temple quite like this when it's bigger than any of the others uh, by dimension. And... Um, it's got some differences. It's got a door between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place um, instead of a curtain, instead of a veil. It uh, has an altar out in front. There will be sacrifices, animal sacrifices during the millennium uh, that reflect back on what Christ did for us on the cross. Of course, they don't take away sin. It's just symbolic. Uh, but there is no bronze laver for washing. Uh, there is no uh, table of incense. Uh, there's no... You know, menorah or a you know lampstand or anything like that. Jesus has fulfilled all of that, of course. But uh, you know, it's very interesting. So, a very unique temple that's going to be um, uh, established by the Lord when He returns. The Bible says when He returns, there's going to be a great earthquake. His foot's going to rest on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split and uh, be a great valley that separates the northern and the southern. Uh, part of the Mount of Olives. And then we talked last week about how the glory of the Lord is going to enter into the temple. So I think that the new temple will be you know, supernaturally built by the Lord upon His return. I think just like that. And that His Spirit, His, you know, the Lord Himself, the glory of the Lord will enter into the temple and into the Holy of Holies. And uh, then He'll reign for a thousand years. So it's very interesting. This is kind of what we've looked at so far. So tonight I want to look in the book of Daniel. So turn over to Daniel chapter 2. And we'll see how far we get. There's three chapters, but if we run out of time, we'll just look at uh, two of them tonight. We could pick it up there next week. Daniel chapter 2. 
And y'all have been studying Daniel, haven't you, in Sunday school? So y'all may be familiar with all of this. But in chapter 2, um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has a dream. And uh, this has a lot to do with prophecy. So we're going to see a lot of prophecy in, in uh, these two chapters we look at tonight. Um, so King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he decided that he wanted someone to interpret his dream because it troubled him. He couldn't understand it. But he came up with an idea where all of the um, you know, magicians, astro the Bible says astrologers, uh, wise men um, that could interpret dreams and do things like that, he said, okay, I want you to tell me what my dream is and then give me the interpretation. And so he gathered them all up and he said, just tell, what, tell us what your dream is, king, and we'll tell you what the interpretation is. He said, no. He said, I want you to tell me what my dream is first. And of course, none of them could do it. They said, well, nobody could do that. And he said, well, I tell you what, he says, if you can't do that, I'm just going to put all of you to death. And so he sent out an order that all the wise men would all be put to death. Now, Daniel was counted among the wise men. And also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember them? So uh, anyway, word came to Daniel that he and his friends were going to be executed because nobody was able to interpret this dream. Of course, he didn't know anything about it. So he, uh, he said, well, give me a day to, to think about this. And um, actually in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, look at 17 and 18 right quick. This is really important. It says, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So they had a prayer meeting. So that's what you do when you run into trouble, isn't it? You have a prayer meeting. So he said, guys, I want you to pray with me that the Lord will give me the interpretation of this dream and tell me what the dream is. And um, then I'll go to the king and, and we'll all be spared. So that's exactly what happened. So uh, Daniel goes to the king and, and says, okay, I, I'll interpret that for you. And um, so we're going to look here, look at down to verse 31. And Daniel here gives him the interpretation of his dream. Let's read 31 through 45, and then we'll, we'll discuss it. He says, You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance, and the head of the statue was made of pure gold, and in its um, chest and arms of silver, and its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor that is in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream... And now we will interpret it to the king. He says, You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold. He says, After that, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. 
nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, and not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. So, Daniel tells the king what his dream was, that he saw this big statue that had a, a head of gold and, and arms and chest of silver and a you know, torso of bronze and then the legs of iron and feet that were mixed with iron and clay. And then he gave the interpretation. Well, when he did that, the king got up, fell down on his face before Daniel and says, this is amazing. Truly, you do serve the, the one true God and gave him all kinds of gifts and promoted him and uh, put him in charge of the kingdom and all of that. So uh, this was a, really an amazing thing, uh, how God gave Daniel the interpretation of this dream. So Daniel ends up going back and he, he tells the king, well, I'd like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to be in charge of different parts of the kingdom. And so the king allowed him to do that. So it's really an interesting story, true story, of how Daniel had this interpretation of this dream. And clearly, in the interpretation here, we see that there are four kingdoms, world kingdoms, worldwide kingdoms at that time, that would be on the earth. And so he says the first one, which is the head of gold, is the kingdom of the Babylonians, which is uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar. And then he says uh, the next kingdom is the one of the silver, and that represents the Medes and the Persians. Now, the Persians, ancient Persia, is present-day Iran. So, we're all familiar with Iran, right? So, Persia is Iran, and the Median Empire, the Medes, was a part of that. They were kind of a smaller part of it. So, you had the Medes and the Persians were kind of in a partnership together. But basically, really, it was the Persian Empire for the most part. So, you had the Babylonian Empire, you had the Medo-Persian Empire, then you had the Greeks that came along. Remember Alexander the Great uh, from history and how he conquered the known world and everything. And then he had uh, four uh, generals that uh, he left in charge of his empire when he died. And so they ended up splitting it up. So That's all right. So we got the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and then a final fourth kingdom came, the one represented by the iron. And that one was the one that lasted all the way up through the time of Christ. What, what world empire was that? That'd be the Romans, the Roman Empire. So this is really clear, you know, that this is what's going to happen. Now, this was all future at the time, and it was revealed to Daniel. And so he gave the interpretation to the king. And... Um, so he talks about this, this final kingdom, this fourth kingdom, with having toes, ten toes. And we come to find out that these ten toes represent ten kings. And uh, these ten kings are going to be a part of a final worldwide kingdom uh, that will be in place when the Lord returns. Because it tells us that this rock is going to be cut out, but not with human hands. And this rock will bust all these kingdoms to pieces this represented by this statue. And then there will be a, a final everlasting kingdom that will be established. And we know, of course, from Scripture, that's going to be the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the millennial kingdom. So isn't that interesting? So here in Daniel, you know, we're 500 and some odd years before uh, the time of Christ is giving this prophecy of these four kingdoms and how there's going to be a final everlasting kingdom that will be set up by the Lord, and then He'll reign forever and ever and ever. So look at verses 34 again, 34 and 30, I'm sorry, 34 and 45. Look at verse 34. It says, While you were watching, a rock was cut, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then look over to verse 45 again. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And so he says, uh, 
this, uh, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. And the dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. So anyway, this is a, a dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar and gave the interpretation to Daniel that talks about these world kingdoms that we know have existed in the past and up to the Roman Empire. But then he talks about these, these ten toes. And when we get into this next chapter, we're going to study it, it makes more sense. But they represent ten nations in the end times. And it's like the Roman Empire kind of comes back. You ever heard the phrase revived Roman Empire? So the Roman Empire, of course, was empowered during the time of Christ. But eventually it collapsed after several hundred years. And then in the end times, perhaps in our time, there's going to be ten nations that are going to be united together. And out of those ten nations, one there's going to be a man that comes out of that that's the Antichrist. We'll see that more clearly in the next chapter we look at. Um, anyway, any questions about any of that? Isn't that interesting? So we could be living in the time when this will all come to pass. Um, some believe that, it, it, that the Antichrist will be a Roman, come out of the, old, out of the European nations, because that represents the old Roman Empire. That's quite possible. I tend to think that maybe he just you know, represents the Gentile world at that time, you know, the Romans. And so I'm thinking that the Gentile world today would be really all the whole planet, you know, apart from the Jews compared to the Jews. So I'm thinking that maybe um, that the Antichrist doesn't necessarily have to come out of Europe. He might. We just don't know. But I think it could be any other nation, really. Uh, but there's going to be, in the end times, there's going to be ten nations that are all kind of joined together, represented by these ten toes. And we'll get more clarity here in a minute in chapter 7. But um, those ten nations are going to represent the whole world. And um, and then the Antichrist is going to come forward. And, and then he's going to, of course, we know he's going to cause all kinds of trouble. But uh, anyway, we could be getting very, very close to that time you know, when this is all going to take place. Um, so, any, any questions, anybody on that? All right, well, let's look at chapter 7. Chapter 7 is very similar. Get over to chapter 7. Now you have another king of Babylon that's come along, Belshazzar. And he has a, a reign here that... Uh, it's uh, you know after Nebuchadnezzar, and then Daniel himself has a dream. So um, instead of a, a statue with four parts, though, it's going to be four different beasts or animals that represent these nations. But really, this is a strong parallel between chapter seven and chapter two, because both of them represent these world empires or these world kingdoms, and we know what they are because that's that's history now. But look, um, well, first of all, look down to verse 24, chapter 7, verse 24. It talks about ten horns. We have one beast, there's four beasts, and the fourth beast, which represents the Roman Empire, has, has ten horns. So the statue had ten toes, and now the, the fourth animal, which represents Rome, has ten horns. And so in verse 24, it says, The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. And so that's the Antichrist. The little horn that comes forth is the Antichrist. So there's going to be ten kingdoms in the end times. And the Antichrist is going to come forth, and he's going to subdue three of them. So apparently three of these nations kind of rebel against him. He's going to defeat them. And then you've got the others that kind of fall into place, fall into line. And you have this you know, worldwide uh, conglomeration or confederacy of, of ten kingdoms at the end times, which becomes seven under the kind of the, the leadership of the Antichrist. Um, ever heard in the past that um, maybe the, the European Union would be the, the ten nations that would bring about the Antichrist in the end times? Well, now there's like 27 nations, you know, in the European Union. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I suppose it could get narrowed down to 10. I suppose that's possible. But I think that it'll be, you know, a worldwide thing. 
I saw on the internet one time, there was a silver coin and it had, had the whole world, the whole planet, and it was divided into 10 districts, including the United States. And so I, I ordered one of those coins. I thought that was kind of interesting. And so a lot of people think that there'll be, you know, the, the whole worldwide system around the world will be divided into 10 primary districts or nations or whatever you want to call it with leaders. And that's going to bring a, about this one world government and this one world economy in the end times. You think we're kind of moving into that kind of a situation these days? A one world government? There always talk about a one world government. There's always talk about a one world economy. Look how the economy is so connected today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody have a common currency. They come out with things like the Bitcoin and stuff like that, which I don't know a whole lot about. But you start hearing stuff like that. You know, this has been going on for a long time. There's been a big effort, you know, to bring about a one world economy. Um, and the economies of the world are already pretty well connected, aren't they? All this stuff going on, on over in the, the Middle East and the Red Sea and all that, you know, the, the Houthis are or causing trouble and preventing the ships from going through that area and they have to go all the way around you know to, to go where they want to go and so it's causing all kinds of uh, economic problems and stuff it's probably going to cause inflation even more so and you know shipping problems that kind of stuff so so we see that kind of thing going on today uh, but isn't it amazing that, that these prophecies so many many centuries ago uh, are coming to pass today we're seeing that happen so it's really amazing to me that, you know, of course, we know the Bible is God's word, but it's almost like reading the newspaper, you know, when you read the Bible and you read these prophecies. So anyway, let's take a look at this. Uh, well, you've got these 10 kings. I mentioned that. Go ahead and look at verse 8 before we read the, the, the other verses. Verse 8 in chapter 7. Uh, Daniel says, while I was thinking about the horns, these 10 horns, there was before me another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And so that's a reference to the Antichrist. And so you're going to have these ten nations and ten kings or presidents or whatever that lead these nations, and then this Antichrist comes forward. And then three of these kingdoms and kings are going to rebel against him. He's going to subdue them and make them fall into place, maybe annihilate them or kill them. And then you've got the others that are all going to follow his leadership. So this is what Daniel's dream is all about. So it's very, very similar to the statue, only this is four wild animals, four beasts. Let's look at that. Look at verse 15. 15 through uh, 28. Daniel says, I was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all of this. And so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. He said, the four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. Uh, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. And the saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. 
Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. This is the end of the matter, and I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. Okay? So you see the parallel between chapter 2 and chapter 7. You had a statue in chapter 2 that represented these four kingdoms. And in chapter 7, you have these four beasts that represent the exact same kingdoms, the Babylonians, and then the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. So uh, that's the, uh, the dream, of course, that was given to Daniel. And it says um, that this little horn is going to rule. Look at verse 25 again. It's going to rule for uh, a time, times, plural, and half a time. Now, what do you think that means? Time would be one part. Times is plural. That would be two parts. And then half a time. So it's a, it's a three and a half period. So obviously, what is that? when you compare this with the book of Revelation. Yeah, that's the three and a half year period that Jesus called Great Tribulation. So we know the tribulation period altogether is seven years, but the latter half of it is extremely bad, especially bad, and Jesus called it Great Tribulation. And so this is the time period that uh, Daniel has, has had this dream about. And so time, times, and half a time is three and a half. In Book of Revelation, bless you, it talks about 42 months and 1,260 days. A uh, Jewish month had 30 days in it. So 1,260 days would be three and a half months. 42 months is three and a half months. And so, I'm sorry, three and a half, yeah, years. I'm sorry, years. So clearly, I mean, it's so obvious that it's talking about this time of great tribulation that this Antichrist is going to rule over and so that's when all the really terrible things are going to happen on the earth. Um, we know there's going to be a, a treaty that is established. Well, I think we'll have time to look at that in chapter 9. There's a treaty that this Antichrist is going to work out with uh, the enemies of Israel, and really the whole world is going to agree to this. And so he's, it says he's going to confirm a covenant or a treaty for a seven-year period of time. And in the very middle of that seven years, is when he goes into the temple and proclaims himself to be God. That's when the great tribulation begins, the, the last three and a half years. And the Antichrist is reigning during that time and you know, persecuting the, the, the saints and everything, and especially the Jews. There'll be a lot of persecution against the Jews. A lot of folks think when it talks about saints in Daniel, it's really talking about the Jews and not necessarily the church. Now, we're saints also, but this is specifically probably talking about the Jewish people and how they're going to be persecuted so badly by the Antichrist. Now, what's happening today? What do we see happening today about the Jews? A lot of anti-Semitism, right? A lot of hatred about the Jews. Yeah. I mean, the whole world just seems to be, you know, just... Yeah, and they're carrying their flags. Yeah, waving their flags and, and having demonstrations in our country. All around the world, they're doing this. Isn't that amazing? And the, you know, the, the Arab people, the Muslims, are just taking over the whole world. There's so many of them. They're just growing like wildfire. So they could, they're going to be a big part of all of this. You know, we, we saw the nations in Ezekiel 38 that are going to come against Israel in the latter days. And you've got Russia and Iran and all these other Islamic nations that were mentioned that come against Israel in the last days. And they're going to be annihilated by the Lord. And so we talked about that last time. I think that's before the tribulation time. So that could happen any time. But isn't it amazing, interesting, all this stuff happening today? The anti-Semitism, um, you know, the things that are going on right now over in Israel with uh, the Gaza Strip and with Hezbollah up in Lebanon and all that, the warfare that's happening and how the whole world is just dumping on Israel, you know, uh, claiming they're committing you know, genocide and all that because, you know, unfortunately a lot of civilians are being killed. But when you have war, that's just what happens. You know, Israel's not trying to do that. They're trying to avoid it, but it, it is happening. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that we're seeing all this stuff happen today. So I think the stage is being set, you know, for um, a kind of a revival of this old Roman Empire. 
and then ten nation confederacy that's going to come forward in the latter days, and then this Antichrist who's going to come forward and he's going to come up with this this peace agreement. They've been talking about a peace agreement in Israel, the Middle East, for as long as I can remember. I mean, this goes way back. Remember, Jimmy Carter was trying to get all this done, and and uh, you know tried to get all these peace agreements and everything, and anytime they would get close to doing that, you know, the the uh, Islamic terrorists would kill somebody like uh, Sadat. Remember when they killed Anwar Sadat from Egypt when he was trying to make peace with Israel? Um, so anyway, it's just very, very interesting that we seem to see all these things happening. You think the Antichrist is alive today? I think he probably is. And America is in such a spiritual decline like we've never seen. I mean, it's just really going downhill. The whole world is really. All these weird things that are happening, you know, in the world today, uh, political movements and social justice issues and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of these things are moving away from the, the scriptures, you know, and into evil and wickedness. And so this is something that's just it's happening all around us today. And it seems to be getting very, very close. So I think the Antichrist is alive. Now, you know, we think, well, that could take many, many, many years for him to come forward, but it, it wouldn't, would it? He could come out of he could come out of nowhere. A lot of leaders do, don't they? I mean, who ever heard of Barack Obama before he came forward? I mean, he was just a state senator, you know, for a while. Then he or a state representative, then he became a uh, you know, senator. He said he's going to totally transform the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, he did, didn't he? Pretty much. It's still happening, isn't it? Yeah. And anyway, another thing, we've got all these uh, these illegals pouring over the southern border. It just astounds me that nothing is being done about that, you know? You know, and, I mean, I've got clean clothes on. Right. They're not dirty or nothing. Right. Seems pretty organized, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there's all kinds of evil and people behind it politically and... uh I'm sure there's some Muslims in that, you know, and uh, coming from all over the world. Sure. Don't you think that they could, uh, something could happen really, really quickly? I mean, very suddenly, things could change just overnight. Look how cha- look how COVID changed everything in the world, just like that. You know, suddenly the whole world was just changed. It's going to be like that as we get closer to the end times. Um, Terrorists could come into our country, are I'm sure, and and now nowadays they've got these compact nuclear bombs and stuff that they have, you know, suitcase bombs and stuff they can set off that can do tremendous damage, you know, to a wide area. And I, I hope this doesn't happen, but I've always thought, you know, if I was a terrorist and I really wanted to hurt this country, I'd set that thing off during the State of the Union address or something, where all those people are gathered together at the Capitol and just wipe out that whole thing, you know. Imagine what that would do to our country just like that if something like that happened. So factor that in, all this world upheaval going on, and then factor in the rapture of the church. And we're going to get to that later on. I I think that's going to be a very key factor. When the rapture of the church happens and all the Christians on the earth are suddenly removed, there's going to be absolute turmoil and confusion. And then factor in all this warfare that's taking place and then somebody's going to step forward that appears to have all the answers and it's going to be the antichrist who is the antichrist anyway not not specifically but who is the antichrist spiritually devil it's the devil yeah the devil is going to possess a man is what's going to happen and he's going to use that man to bring about the worship of himself Worldwide worship. The Bible says the whole world wonders after the beast in Revelation, right? And so that's the Antichrist. And so he's trying to do what he's been trying to do from day one. He's trying to get the whole world to worship him. And he thinks that if he can get more people worshiping him than worship God, that somehow he'll become God. Of course, we know that's not true. God is sovereign. He's going to be God if nobody worships him, right? But that's the devil is such a good deceiver, he's even deceived himself into thinking that he can become more powerful than God. And he's going to try and do it through that one man. 
we're going to get into all that when we get into the book of Revelation, you know, and it talks about the head wound that the uh, Antichrist receives. It calls it a fatal head wound. And I think that's just what it is. I think he's actually going to be killed. He's going to rise to power, and then the whole world is going to see it probably on television, him getting killed with some kind of a head wound, kind of like John F. Kennedy. Remember that? Those of us who are old enough to remember that? I think I was in the second grade when that happened. But I remember it very clearly. And all of us have seen the video over and over and over and over. Imagine if he came back to life from that or if he recovered from that. Don't you think that would astound the whole world? And that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. But I think he's going to be killed. I think he's literally going to be killed. And I think the Antichrist is going to reanimate that body and just use his body. So it's just going to be a body and that man's soul is gone off to hell, I believe. But I think the Antichrist, um, his body is going to be used by Satan to deceive the whole world. Um, one place I get that from is when, uh, when Moses died. What are we told in the little book of Jude about the body of Moses when he died? What happened to his body? It says God, God buried him somewhere. Nobody knew where. But somebody was very, very interested in his body. Remember who that was? was Satan. Little Book of Jude tells us that, that Satan and the archangel Michael got into a dispute over the body of Moses. Well, what's that all about? We're not told what that's all about. Well, I think that Satan was going to use that body of Moses and reanimate it and use it to deceive the Israelites. And God wouldn't allow it to happen. He prevented that from happening. I think that's the exact thing that the Antichrist or that the devil is going to do with the Antichrist with his body. So, I mean, we can see how these things could all just fall into place really quickly. Um, now, if you believe as I do, we're going to blast out of here in the rapture, you know, so we're not going to be here for all the bad stuff. Aren't you thankful for that? Um, on this last trip to Israel, there's a guy, a really nice guy, who's written a book, and he thinks that the church is going to go through the seven-year tribulation. And so he gave me a copy and wanted me to read it and give him feedback, and I did. I told him I didn't agree with it, but uh, he's convinced, you know, the church is going to go through the, the seven years. But we'll look at a lot of reasons why I don't think that's true later on. But um, I'm convinced that the church is going to be removed uh, during the seven-year tribulation period. Questions? Anybody got a question or a thought? I got a thought. Okay, sure. Yeah, it, it wasn't even 100 years ago that the whole world could be seen. Right. The whole world, the mass media. The yeah. Just in the last hundred years, nowhere anymore. Yeah. Now it's actually possible for the whole world to see. The whole world to see what's happening at, at the same time through television, satellites, and all that kind of stuff. And again, we've got a long ways to go before we get into the Revelation, but uh, you know, it talks about this image of the beast, that an image comes to life of the Antichrist. He sets up this image up on the temple platform up there, the Temple Mount, and causes it to come to life. And it says the whole world, you know, is observing this, like you're saying. I think you know what I think that is? People say, well, it's a statue that that you know supernaturally moves and comes to life. I, that's possible. But I got to reading that and just thinking about this day and age, you know what I think it is? I think it's television. I think it's you know how they have these huge screens like at concerts and stuff, massive screens, you know, and the person who's performing or whatever his or her image is up on the screen. Everybody's watching that. It's on television or anything. I think it's something like that. Yeah. Right. Some people think it could be a hologram or something like that. It's easy to see now how that could happen. In a few years ago, it didn't make any sense to anybody. But now it does. Um, yeah. Everybody's got a pocket computer and yeah, so people are going to be looking at the Antichrist on their on their phone, you know, and he's going to be giving a speech and all of that. And <laughs> yeah. right, I, hope, I think I don't think he'll come forward before we're gone. How long do you think it would take them to build the temple? You know, if the rapture of the church takes place at the very beginning of the seven year period, okay, yeah, and we know that he goes into the temple after three and a half years. Surely in three and a half years they could build the temple, couldn't they? With the technology we have today, it'd be easy. 
be real easy. Yeah, it wouldn't take long at all. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a group, you know, that are uh, uh, Jewish folks that are, you know, the Temple Mount Faithful, you know, and uh, there's a Temple Institute in Jerusalem. I, I visited that where they've got all the clothing and everything for the priests and they've got the, they've got the menorah and they've got all the articles, the shovels, the everything, table of incense. They've got all these things ready to go so that whenever they might have an opportunity to build the temple, they can initiate all that stuff and the sacrifices. Red, red heifers. Keep hearing about the red heifer that somebody has perfected a red heifer. You know, you gotta have red heifer, the ashes of the red heifer to to purify the, the area where the temple will be built. So we know that's gonna happen. So all these things are happening. It's really exciting, you know. Some people get scared when they read about this stuff, but really it kind of excites me, you know. I'm kind of I'm ready to go. How about you? Amen. Yeah. I'm ready to Is that right? Well, I mean, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it may be someone we never heard of, you know. But uh, someone will come to power. Now, can you imagine striking a, a deal, a peace treaty, after all these years, someone actually able to pull that off? How popular they're going to be, how famous they're going to be. Um, so that'll be the key when that peace treaty is agreed to. Uh, so that's very interesting. When they start talking about peace agreements and stuff over there, if you hear about a seven-year peace agreement, boy, you better pay attention. That that's that's probably it. Um, I think we got time. Look at chapter nine, right quick. Chapter nine. Daniel has a vision, so he's already had these two. He interpret the dream, and then he had a dream about the statue, and then the four beasts that represent the four kingdoms, world kingdoms leading up to this revived Roman Empire, the ten nations that come together. The Antichrist is going to come forward. But look here at um, in chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. And we'll just read these verses through the end of the chapter there. This is really interesting. Verse 20 says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, uh, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, probably the angel Gabriel, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Now, this is the part that gets kind of interesting. It says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, that's a lot of stuff, I know. But when you kind of break this down, what it's saying is there's going to be a, a, a 490 year period of time, God's timetable here, God's program, because you've got 70 times 7. 490 year period of time because you got seven sevens and you got the 62 sevens and then there's a final seven year period. And so I believe what this means is God is giving us a timetable for what's going to happen in the end times. And so 
it talks about this decree. It says, from the time that a decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem, verse 25, until the anointed one, the ruler comes. Now, anointed one in my Bible is capitalized. How about yours? I think that's a clear reference to Jesus. He's the anointed one. So it says, from this decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. You say, well, why is it broken into two parts like that? You have seven sevens, which would be a period of 49 years, right? And then you've got 62 sevens, which would be 434 years. And what's that all about? And this is a time period that began with a decree to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. And then um, uh, Cyrus, uh, the Persian, allowed them to go back and to, you know, you know, set the cornerstone of the temple, rebuild the temple and all of that. And then over time, they were allowed to go back and actually rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah was the one that went back and built the wall around the city of Jerusalem because the wall was down. Well, that was just the wall. But it took some time to rebuild the city. So most scholars believe that that 49-year period of time is the period of time it takes for them to rebuild the city from the time that it was destroyed. They went back, and I think the temple was established, wasn't it, in 516 B.C.? Seventy years. Jeremiah had said it would be 70 years from the time they were defeated and carted off until they came back to the land. And so I think the 49 years refers to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So this uh, ruler of Persia at that time, during the time of Nehemiah, was Artaxerxes was his name. Say that three times real quick. Artaxerxes. But he gave this decree that they could go back and do this. So that has to be the decree that the Bible is talking about. So that was about 444 or 445 B.C. Scholars kind of debate that. You go back there and you take that, and then you go forward the 49 years, the rebuilding of the city, and then it says 62 sevens. That's another 434 years. If you add that to it, that's 483-year period of time. You say, well, what is that? Well, if you take from the time of the rebuilding of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and you go 483 years, you get right up to the time of Christ when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and went to the cross and died on the cross. The anointed one says the anointed one will be cut off. He'll be put to death. Isn't that amazing? And scholars, mathematicians, and I'm not one of them, but they've got together and calculated all of this from about 444 B.C. up until about 33 A.D. And it gets complicated because the Jews, their month just has 30 days, and ours are different. We're on the solar calendar. They were on the lunar calendar. But if you calculate all this stuff, you come up with exactly 483 years from the decree to rebuild the city until the time that Christ came into the city and went to the cross. That's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's that's an exact fulfillment of prophecy. The coming of the Lord. So what's missing? you got 483 years, but Daniel was told that this time period is 70 times 7. What's 70 times 7? 490 years. So if you take 490 minus 483, you've got a 7-year period that's missing. It hasn't yet been fulfilled. And so it's been 2,000 years since the 483-year period was finished and Jesus was crucified. And now we've been waiting for that final week of years to be fulfilled. And that's called the, the 70th week of Daniel. That's where that comes from. And that 70th week, that seven-year period is what? It's the tribulation time. See, that's what's missing. Some people have called it the great parenthesis. You know, we've had 2,000 years. We've been waiting for this final seven-year period that Daniel was told about to be fulfilled. And so I think we're right on the threshold of that final seven-year period to be fulfilled. And uh, then this 490-year period will be complete. And at the end of that, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to establish his kingdom, right? That rock, Jesus is the rock, right, that breaks the statue all to pieces and establishes his kingdom. That's what's going to happen. And this old revived Roman Empire is going to be defeated by the Lord uh, when he comes back. 
and that, that fourth beast is going to be done away with, and the Lord's going to establish His kingdom. It gets, gets us back to the study we did on the millennium and all of that. And the glory of the Lord re-entering the temple, the millennial temple. So see how this stuff kind of connects together? That's kind of why I wanted to look at these, uh, these Old Testament passages and everything because they're very, very key to understanding, I think, the proper interpretation of the book of Revelation. It really, a lot of people won't even study the book of Revelation. It's always too complicated. It doesn't make sense. It's just all confusing. Well, if you look at all these things we've been looking at and then you compare that to the book of Revelation, it, to me, it just fits together perfectly. It makes perfect sense. So, so anyway, I think we're very, very close to all these things being fulfilled. And I'm pretty excited about it. How about you? Yeah, things are getting so bad. How could it go much longer? Yeah. Yeah, people say, well, you know, there's always been talk about the end times and world wars and all of that. And what makes you think this time is different? Well, we all know Iran is a big player in what's going on right now, right? And Russia. Well, we know if they don't already have it, they're going to have nuclear weapons soon, very soon. They probably already got it. So do you think Iran is going to hesitate to use those? And so you see how we're, we could be on the very brink of world war very easily with nuclear weapons, and we do have the power now to completely devastate and destroy the earth with these nuclear weapons. And that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days during the time of tribulation. So, yeah. Yeah, causing all kinds of havoc, and this Antichrist is going to come forward. So, But you, did you read that a moment ago where it says, uh, verse 27, He, referring to this uh, Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And so there's going to be a seven-year agreement, a seven-year covenant uh, with Israel and really the whole world that's uh, going to be established by this Antichrist when he comes forward. That could that could be announced possibly before the rapture, but I think the rapture is going to happen right at the beginning of that seven-year period. So just about the same time that's revealed, I think that's when we're going to get raptured out of here, and things are going to get really interesting then. So yeah, it's going to be terrible on the earth, isn't it, for those that are left behind? So. Right. So what should this cause us to do as Christians when you read these things? Why did the Lord put this in the Bible anyway? Why did He want us to know all this stuff? Yeah. Jesus said, watch. Be watching for these things. Be aware of this. And I think it's to motivate us to witness and to share and to spread the gospel and to encourage people to be saved because we're getting very, very close to where it's going to be too late. You know? Um, I mean, people will be saved during the tribulation time, but boy, you wouldn't want to live through that, would you? It's going to be horrible. And so we need to be witnessing and sharing and encouraging people to get saved because the time could be very, very short when all these things happen. Okay, well, that's a lot of stuff, I know. So if you want to read ahead, next time we're going to be in, in Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14, and we'll, we'll primarily study that next time. Very interesting about the return of the Lord and His foot rests on the Mount of Olives and all of that. So, Okay, thanks for coming.